Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to Trying to Conceive podcast. And today we are talking to a woman who was trying to conceive for about three years, and she's going to share her story on her journey and a little bit about her pregnancy and postpartum. So let's jump straight into the interview. I hope that you enjoy. Hi, how many kids do you have and how old are they? Hello. Um, I have one little man. His name is Finley and he just turned one. I don't know how that happened, but he just turned one a few weeks ago. Oh, (laughs) very cute, I must say. Yeah, they make them that way. (laughs) Can you please share a little bit about your trying to conceive journey? Sure. So when my husband and I, we got married when we were on the younger side, we were 24. And it was very clear that we wanted to wait. We wanted to travel. We wanted to excel our careers a little bit. So when the time came, uh, we had a summer where we had a bunch of weddings. uh, And we said, you know, at the end of those weddings, let's, you know, pull the goalie, so to speak, and, you know, have a baby immediately, which is what we thought would happen, which I think um, a lot of women think that. Uh, so I, w- I was 28 at the time, and I was shocked when I wasn't pregnant the first month, which in hindsight is so naive. Um, but I felt myself kind of panic almost immediately for whatever reason. And maybe that was just, you know, my body telling me that, you know, maybe it might take a while after all. So uh, we had tried just casually at home. I didn't, I mean, I went to public school. They don't teach you much about a woman's reproductive system. So at the end of the day, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought everybody had a 28 day cycle. I had just come up birth control. I had no idea what my body was doing. So we had tried at home for nine months before I had kind of brought up to my doctor that I felt like something was wrong. My cycles were bananas. And you know, I think typical Western medicine, you know, she was like, you're young, you're healthy, you know, try for a year. I don't really see the need to explore any further. So I hated how dismissive that was actually in the moment. So I kind of went over her head and I found a reproductive endocrinologist and I made an appointment right at like, I think we were just over a year, like 13, 14 months trying. And I went to the endocrinologist and I I went to, you know, a great woman. She was well-researched. She was highly credentialed. And it was shockingly cookie cutter, the experience. You know, you do some blood work beforehand, you know, some hormone testing. And my husband had a semen analysis and I had a um, transvaginal ultrasound. So kind of we went in braced with all this information. And she kind of sat us both down and was like, yeah, so it looks like you have polycystic ovarian syndrome. And, you know, his sperm count is okay. And his morphology is, you know, okay. So I really don't think this will be a problem. We're just going to do letrozole, I think was the first one. It's like an ovulation drug. So, you know, she kind of made this comment. I still remember it because it just it was kind of this false sense of hope. She said, you know, there's no reason that this shouldn't work. It works 80% of the time. So go home, have fun take the pill, call me when you're kind of pregnant because the odds are in your favor. So I thought like, how silly all this time, all I had to do was just take a pill and I was going to get pregnant. But obviously we went home. I did the letrozole, didn't work. I think we did that for like four or five cycles. 
and the hot flashes, which is a common side effect, were just crippling. And I went back to my appointment and I said, these are making me crazy. I can't take this anymore. It's not working. So then she had given us Clomid. We did a few cycles of that. That also made me feel absolutely crazy. Menopausal women everywhere. It is, those hot flashes are brutal. So, um, you know, when we went back for our follow-up, and this was kind of like right around the year and a half mark, she said, you know, the other option is artificial insemination, but it's not that much more successful. So since your uh, fertility coverage is out of pocket, which it is in my state, unfortunately, I don't really recommend it. Why don't you just, you know, when you're ready, come back. I think IVF is all we've got for you. And for whatever reason, I just, well, A, I wasn't ready. Emotionally, we weren't ready financially. You know, it's about, God, $20,000 or something for one cycle, which is a giant question mark, really, if you even get a baby at the end of it. Uh, So I wasn't there yet, and neither was my husband. So we walked away, and I said, I'm going to give myself a few more months, and if at the end of that month nothing's happening, like I get it, I can come to the conclusion that, you know, IVF is where we're going to go. So I had found this fertility acupuncturist she was very expensive. So kind of that is what stopped me from going earlier. But my feeling was, I'm going to give it all I got. And then, you know, if this doesn't work, if Chinese medicine doesn't work, then I can go into IVF fully comfortable knowing that I did everything I could. And, you know, some babies are just made this way. Actually, lots of babies are made this way. And that's just going to be my journey. So I made an appointment with this Um, acupuncturist. And she was fantastic. It was like a two hour appointment. It was the first time, you know, this was like about two years. And this was the first time I, I kind of felt like all these yellow and red flags that I had for all this time, someone was finally saying like, yes, that's not normal. You're correct. Your body, you know, has intuition. It's a real thing. Listen to it. I'm here to validate you. And I think maybe that's just what I needed. I mean, who's to say if it's the acupuncture, if it's just, you know, another human being and another woman at that, like looking you and looking you in the eye and being like, I get this, like something is wrong. You're right. Let's do what we can to fix it. So we didn't, you know, my first acupuncture session, I'd never been to acupuncture before. And I what was it? I think I had gone three sessions and then I had been taking my body temperature, you know, your basal body temperature at that time. And it just looked different all of a sudden than all the other months I had tracked. And it was a Wednesday morning and I went into the bathroom. I was alone. My husband was downstairs and I had, um, at this time I probably had about 75,000 cheap pregnancy tests under my bathroom sink. And I took one of those you know, 75,000 cheap pregnancy tests and I peed on one. And for the first time ever, there was a second line. And I, I had never seen that before. I didn't think I'd ever see it. And I just kind of stood in my bathroom so excited that I just couldn't believe this was happening. And I went downstairs and I kind of told my husband, I said, there's a second line on this pregnancy test. I can't believe I'm pregnant. And it wasn't the response I was looking for. He was kind of like, that's the cheapest pregnancy test you could get. It's made in China. It's probably not accurate. Like, why don't you go out and get a real one and then we'll discuss whether or not you're pregnant. 
Uh, so that was my first pregnancy experience with my husband. But I mean, at that point, I felt great. I was totally in shock. Still to this day, the happiest weeks of my life, like early pregnancy like that, after waiting so, so long, I was just, I was beside myself. It was, you know, still, like I said, just pure bliss. And we went, we had an ultrasound at, I was just about eight weeks and there was a little baby in there with a heartbeat and I, I could have died. I was so happy. Um, unfortunately, a few weeks later, I started spotting and we sadly lost that pregnancy. I had um, what's called a missed miscarriage, which is where the baby stops growing, but your body still thinks it's pregnant. Obviously, it's just devastating. And, you know, miscarriages are devastating for anybody, no matter how long it takes you to get pregnant. But I just felt like it was extra cruel. You know, you, I got pregnant after all this time. And then I had this ultrasound and you showed me a heartbeat. And then, you know, to have that kind of ripped away from me was very confusing. I just didn't want it to take another two years for me to get to this point. I was very, very anxious about having to kind of get back into that dark place that infertility can become really no matter how long it takes, whether it's, you know, a year or whether it's five years, it just, everybody kind of walks through this really dark tunnel at some point in time. And that was really difficult for me to digest. And uh, it took me, I was, I, I ended up having um, a DNC. I had tried to um, take some medication to end the pregnancy, but unfortunately that didn't work. So I had to have surgery, which I just felt like was added trauma. I mean, in hindsight, I probably should have seen a professional to help me deal with the grief of it all. But um, I, all this time I've been going to acupuncture and the woman I saw was just so lovely and, and so maternal. Um, and I think she was kind of a big reason that I felt like I had the strength to just keep going after that loss, which just felt so traumatic for me and for my husband and for our families who were rooting for us so hard, you know. The next month, so I had had the DNC, and then the next month, my period never came. So I took a, another cheap Amazon pregnancy test, and um, there was a second line again. This was just the month after. And I think I knew kind of deep down that this one wasn't going to last. I, I kind of figured it was going to be a chemical pregnancy, which is just um, usually a miscarriage that happens like five weeks or under. Uh, so I didn't really, yes, it was horrible, obviously, um, but I ended up losing that pregnancy at five weeks. And I just kind of thought then that I was just going to be that woman who just gets pregnant all the time and like never actually has a baby, which is a, a weird headspace to be in. My aunt had struggled with a similar issue. So, you know, there was something in the family and I just thought I kind of grabbed the short straw. And that was going to be my journey, that it was just, you know, going to be miscarriages from now on. Because the next month, you know, there it was, a second line again for the third time. And I felt pretty numb about it. Like my husband and I were very reserved, very at arm's length with this pregnancy, not like we were with the first one. Because we had been so burned from that loss and we were still feeling that very acutely. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, 
I just kept being pregnant. And we went for that first ultrasound, which was at seven weeks, and we saw a heartbeat. And my husband and I were very uh, blase about the whole thing because we had done this before. And then we, you know, still didn't have a baby at home. But then I had an ultrasound at, um, it was 16 weeks, and there was a baby in there. And I just, I don't know, I just stayed pregnant, but I was in complete denial. Really, I wasn't, I never allowed myself to get too excited. I was just always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And I'm sure women who have, um, you know, been through loss before can, can really relate to that feeling on edge, you know, no matter how secure your body really feels that like, you know, in hindsight, I knew that my child was in there. I felt his presence even back then, but I just felt like it was this mind trick or something. But yeah, that was, I, I kept staying pregnant at the end of the day. And it really wasn't until I was like 20 weeks and I could start feeling the baby move that I really allowed myself to picture what it was going to be like to have a baby and get excited and tell people. I wasn't telling anyone at work. I was just looking like um, I was horribly, awkwardly fat. And uh, so right when I started feeling that movement, I finally shared the news. And, and I think once I was public about it, it started to become enjoyable finally. And I, you know, kind of allowed myself to feel like I deserved this pregnancy and I deserved to have a great pregnancy because I certainly earned it. My husband earned it. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fabulous. I loved being pregnant. I sucked in every moment of it and I was pregnant for 42 weeks. So there was plenty of time to enjoy it. Thank you so much for sharing all that. I know that our stories have paralleled each other a little bit, but I just can't imagine everything that you went through. That's a fear of mine is, you know, finding out that I finally am pregnant and then it's not sticking. So Mm -hmm. it's just, I just can't imagine what that was like. And then I know that they say that your fertility increases after a miscarriage, but it's almost like you having those three back to back, you didn't have any time to process between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. And I, I sometimes think, you know, after my first miscarriage, I was in this very dark place. And I've, I've never, you know, been in a state of depression, I don't think, but I think that was kind of the closest thing to it. And I think a miss on my, you know, midwife and, and OB side is really realizing that, you know, women regardless of how much pregnancy hormone you have in your body, it can probably exhibit some postpartum depression and the follow-up just wasn't there. So I think, you know, I've learned that, you know, if there are other women in my life who unfortunately have to join, you know, the pregnancy loss team that I did, that that's just something to be so mindful of. Because like you said, it is just, it can be such a dark headspace and it can feel very isolating, even though it shouldn't because, you know, a quarter of pregnancies end in miscarriage. You know, it's not, it's not an isolated incident at all. You know, and that's what, you know, women should be here for each other consistently without, you know, I was very open about my miscarriages. I was not secretive about it. And you wouldn't believe the, the number of people who came out of the woodwork in, in support, which was, which was a beautiful thing and really the silver lining of the whole experience. So if you could anonymously, like, give some advice to people who 
have family members who are going through miscarriage or friends. What mm-hmm. was something that you wish people had said to you or would have done for you or any tips that you might have? Yeah. I mean, I was very, very fortunate that I had, I mean, fortunately, unfortunately, I had a lot of women in my life who had experienced miscarriage. My mother was, was one of them. So they, they were coming from a place of understanding how deep that grief is. And I think honestly, what was the most helpful is just, I would get like, um, you know, texts from people just saying like, thinking of you. Or I had some girlfriends send me flowers and it's not, you know, it doesn't have to link anything to the miscarriage. It's just, you know, I love you and I'm here for you and I'm thinking of you and I'm praying for you. Um, We had people bring food over. I mean, I think just general goodness towards another person is all you want. You want to know that, you know, you didn't forget your baby. You want to know the rest of the world didn't forget your baby. And I think by just being there and not just for the first days and we and days after, you know, it that grief lasts for weeks and months. And I still have, you know, a soft spot in my heart when I think about it. So I think just being there and listening and offering a hug or a handhold or a written note, it's, you know, don't be scared to feeling like you're saying or doing the wrong thing because your presence is just everything. At least for me it was. So just showing up and making sure that people know that you're there for them. A hundred percent. Yep. It just makes it less isolating. Do you feel like infertility PTSD is a thing? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. I think kind of what I spoke about, you know, being pregnant and not allowing myself to really enjoy it until I was halfway through it, I think speaks to the trauma that is associated to it. And I, I, you know, it's just waiting for that other shoe to drop. You know, you think like, nothing's going my way. This is never going to happen. It's just this kind of negative head spiral that for me just trailed into pregnancy until, um, you know, my husband was, was somebody who kind of just metaphorically slapped me across the face and said, you're missing, you're missing what you waited for because the trauma that you just aren't letting go of. So I, it's absolutely real. Absolutely. Oh, I'm glad that he has that outlook in its really great that you were able to turn it around I would say fairly quickly I mean if you think about it that's only four months into your pregnancy that you were able to make that shift and Mm -hmm. that seems huge to me it wasn't alone it wasn't an independent thing I think it probably would have lasted much longer but I think you know it's hard to ignore when you feel physical movement inside your body you know I think that just makes it much more real and less abstract which for me it just felt up until that point like there's nothing in there. I just, I felt like I was just going to have another mis- miscarriage that I, you know, my body thought I was pregnant. It's, you, you go, you go crazy. I went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little right now. So, I um, all right, let's talk about some of the funner things. Like what did you find about pregnancy that you had no idea to expect? Um, it's pretty much the most bizarre experience of your life. Um, well, to keep it positive, I absolutely loved everything about it. I was lucky enough that I wasn't sick, which I think helps. You know, I, I feel for women. I have girlfriends who vomited every day until that baby was born. I just felt so purposeful. I mean, I was, I was shocked at how introspective I felt and how connected I felt with this 
person that I didn't know what he looked like and we didn't know the sex of the baby. So I didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, but I was shocked at how strong that presence was once I allowed myself to acknowledge it, which like I said, was kind of about the halfway point. You guys found out the sex during birth? We did. We did the good old fashioned surprise. Whoa. Yeah. Did you have an inkling? Um, you know, with my first miscarriage, it was a very overwhelming boy. And then, you know, I, I knew I was pregnant with a boy, which actually turned out to be correct. Um, and then this time, I guess I thought it was a boy, but everybody else was telling me it was a boy. So I think it just kind of like ingrained into my head. I would have strangers at the grocery store come up to me and say I was having a boy. So I just <laughs> like, when he came out and, you know, my husband said, it's a boy. I was kind of like, ah, I kind of figured. <laughs> That's so funny. You must have, like, given off some sort of aura. I guess. I don't know. So I don't know. What does it feel like when a baby kicks inside? I don't know. I honestly don't think there's any way to describe it. It literally feels – it literally feels like there's, a, there's just this alien inside of you. There's no, there's no other sensation. I mean, in the beginning, it's kind of like if you have a belly roll, like, like gas, or, you know, if, if you're hungry and you can kind of feel that very – real vibration inside your body I think you can kind of equate it to that but there is just nothing like it it's it's the best feeling in the world I promise you'll get it (laughs) do they do it like one time of the day more than another usually when you want to go to bed (laughs) yeah I think because um the theory is that you're moving all day so you're kind of lulling them to sleep and then when you finally lay down at night that's when they wake up that's why they're there's the theory that they're so nocturnal when they're actually born because they're used to being awake at night. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's very distracting. (laughs) There's a reason pregnant women don't sleep. (laughs) So what you're telling me is you have to be lazy during the day. Yes, yes. Quit your job. (laughs) Lady lady of leisure. Lay around. Absolutely. I think we should get all doctors to prescribe that. Yeah, that's what I'm (laughs) Are pregnancy cravings a real thing? Um... I always have a sweet tooth, so that was no change there. So for me, aversions were real. I love fish and seafood, and I did not touch it until the very, very end of my pregnancy. Like, I never threw up, but I could not look at a piece of fish or it just turned my stomach. So for me, the aversions were real, but to say I liked ice cream any more during pregnancy than I do now would just be a lie. I eat way too much ice cream, pregnant or not. That's so interesting, though. Are you able to eat fish now? Oh, yeah. So just yep. run away once you had the baby? Yeah, well, towards the end, I was okay. I was okay eating it. It was, I think it's kind of that first trimester. Everything's kind of weird. Your hormones are just flooding your body and uh yeah I was I didn't have a huge appetite in the first trimester so do you have any advice for somebody who might be trying to just starting to try to conceive yeah I mean hindsight's always twenty twenty. um so if I were to tell my 28 year old self um I would tell her to just you know and this is so cliche so bear with me but it is what I would tell myself um to just relax and enjoy it. You know, you're making a baby with somebody who you absolutely are head over heels in love with. And I wish I didn't rob so much of that experience with feeling anxious and paranoid because that obviously that's not a pleasant experience, but it's also, it wasn't fair 
in a lot of ways to my husband, put a lot of pressure on him. And I, I don't regret it because it is what it is. And that's how my journey played out. But I think if I were to say I learned something from the experience and I will pass it on to someone else is that you don't know when you're going to get pregnant. And honestly, you're the baby that you're supposed to have comes when you're supposed to have it, whether you obsessively track your temperature or pee on sticks, or if you just kind of enjoy sex with your husband, the baby comes when the baby comes. And I would say just, just enjoy the experience because it's a, it's a different world when they're here. So. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I obviously am not pregnant yet, but I would actually give myself the same advice, even though it pissed me off when people used to tell me to just relax. I was kind of in the same camp as you where early, early on, like probably four or five months, I started freaking out that I wasn't pregnant yet. And it did take away, you know, from our relationship, it added so much stress on my husband, really for what? Mm -hmm. So that's good. Amen to that. And you know what? And I agree. It's not what you want to hear from other people, which I would never tell another woman to her face, just relax. That has to come from yourself, from internal. That that has to be your internal monologue. Um, yes. Because the second that comes from someone else, it's a complete dismissive response. Um, it's just like when I miscarried and people said, well, at least you could get pregnant. Like that is dismissive of the fact that I just lost a baby, you know, like it needed to come from, from me. Like I need to relax, not someone else telling me to relax. So I realized the irony in what I just said. <laughs> well, no, I, I really do get it. I really do. But I wonder if it could be something like you said, like maybe intuitively you knew that it was going to take a little bit longer or yeah. something that is why yeah. there are these feelings. I think I just learned from the whole experience. And this is something that I have to really credit Eastern medicine to is, you know, your, we, we've done such a great job at ignoring our intuition. And I think what, what my acupuncturist taught me is that our body is telling us things all the time and it's just kind of tuning in. And what she told me, which actually this is really valid, I think for women everywhere trying to, you know, think about having a baby or having a baby. She just said, I want you to go and I want you to sit quietly with yourself and I want the lights off and I want you to listen to your body and your body is going to tell you, you know, ask your body, this is what she told me. She said, sit in a dark place and ask your body, am I going to be a mother? And your body will tell you the answer to that. And when I did that, I felt like it was so woo woo, but I did. And I sat in a room with myself and I cried and, and I just asked myself, am I going to be a mother? And I just felt like my body was telling me yes. And it was a very freeing, like I said, sounds very woo-woo, but it was a very freeing, beautiful moment that I reflected on often. And you know, at the end of the day, it was right. So it's all about just listening to our bodies and learning to, to kind of translate what they're telling us because they're smarter than we give them credit for. <laughs> That's a really cool story. And I'm probably going to do that tonight. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's, and it's, it's all about just checking in with yourself. Um, all right. Is there anything else that you would like to share with people regarding pregnancy, trying to conceive birth? I guess something that would be valid to mention, um, especially for, you know, someone like you, when, when you get your baby, I obviously knew that being a mother was going to be challenging. 
And I knew that, you know, postpartum is hard and, and transitioning into a new role from really being a selfish being to all of a sudden having something that is 100% dependent on you. I did not like motherhood at first. And it was a very difficult thing to say out loud to myself. My son was very colicky and he was a horrible sleeper. He's still not a great sleeper, even though he's super cute. And I really struggled with, and this was like the first three, four months. It was just, it was really bad. And I had a lot of support, which is great, but I was shocked at how much I disliked it. Uh, The dependency, I wasn't dealing well with the sleep. I had a child who screamed six, seven hours a day. It was brutal. And I finally had a girlfriend come over and she said, you know what, Michelle? Miracle babies can be assholes too. (laughs) And I think she she just kind of gave me permission to be like, you don't have to love this all the time and you don't have to love it right now. And you can love your baby, but you don't have to like your baby. And I'm here to tell anyone listening that if you have that experience, currently have that experience, ever run into that experience, I am here to tell you that it passes just like everything else. And I couldn't be more happy. Motherhood is the, is the best thing that's ever happened to me. But it was shocking at how much I struggled with it in the beginning, considering how hard I worked for it. Uh, and I don't think that's uncommon, but um, I think it's exceptionally confusing for husbands and wives who worked really hard to get a baby to kind of all of a sudden be rewarded with what they wanted and, you know, not, not really enjoy it as much as they thought they would. I think that's really powerful. And just to like acknowledge that you are not to blame and whoever's feeling that way, there's no blame at all. It's just in crazy emotional time. And Mm -hmm. you said, obviously you love your baby. You just don't have to like them right now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I would, I would look at him screaming and I would say, I love you, but I don't like you. And that was okay. And it's totally okay to feel that way because you can't like someone all the time. (laughs) And you're probably not going to like anyone who's screaming and keeping you inside and won't let you sleep and is physical pain. (laughs) It's amazing we even have seconds, to be honest. Do you feel like right when you hit that four month mark, it passed, or was it more of like a gradual passing? I think it was definitely gradual. It's not like a light switch. But once his colic stopped, which was right before five months, that was a game changer. So my experience might have been a little bit more isolated because it was kind of like a double double whammy. But um, yeah, it was very gradual. And then just developmentally, as they become more independent and more engaging, that's that just becomes more enjoyable for everybody. I was just shocked at how much I didn't like infancy. I thought I like loved the cuddles and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't for me, but I know that now. You know, I know that for me going into a second pregnancy if I have a second child, that's a revelation that that's okay and it passes. Everything passes. <laughs> I was reading somewhere that like birth there's such thing as like birth amnesia and like early infant amnesia where you just kind of forget what that's like so mm-hmm. that your body will get pregnant again because otherwise parents wouldn't do it a second time. Oh, I believe it. <laughs> I very much believe that. And I love, this is crazy. I loved labor. Um, I don't know why. I thought it was very enjoyable. So I thought like I could do, and I did it unmedicated, which I was super proud of myself for. 
But I thought like, oh, if I could do that and kind of crush it, I thought I could kind of handle the baby stage. Um, but that was not true. It is, they are tough. They are tough for a reason. And you definitely need your tribe when you bring a baby home. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a little stuck. You had an unmedicated birth and it wasn't that bad? No, not at all. I, I actually, I, I, this is so embarrassing to say I did. I enjoyed it. I would do it again. I'm not scared of the birth. I'm scared of bringing it and bringing an infant home. <laughs> oh my gosh. You should go on that birth hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Well, you know what? When you do have a second, if you choose to, maybe Finn can help take care of it this time. Oh, let's hope. He has to start pulling his weight. Yeah. You'll have to recruit him. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the perk to waiting long enough, I think, that you, you kind of have a built-in helper. <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you so 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 much for doing this oh you are so welcome it's been my pleasure so thank you so much michelle for coming on the show i just loved all that she had to say i think that her honesty is really refreshing and i'm just convinced now more than ever that this is a really important podcast to get out here because we need to just hear people's truths and you know, having a baby is so amazing and so wonderful, but sometimes it's glamorized. And I think it's important to just be realistic and know that there's ups and downs and there's nothing wrong to feel that way and to talk about it. So thank you so much for talking about that. And I get a little cringeworthy when I hear my own responses. I'm not the best with the words. It's kind of ironic that I'm doing a podcast, but it takes me a long time to really think about what I want to say. And then I just misspeak a lot. I don't say exactly what I mean to say. So if you're listening and you're like, what is this chick saying? It's, I'm not great with the words, but hopefully my message will get through. If you would like to come on the podcast, please email me at trying to conceive podcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow me on social media, my Instagram is trying to conceive podcast. I do not have any followers, so come on over. And there's a Facebook group, trying to conceive podcast. Again, there's no followers, so come on over. I'd love to have you. And I hope that you guys have a great week and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye.